This is episode 41 of the Just Get Started podcast, and my guest today is the founder and CEO of Pippa, Simon Marcus. Let's get it started. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco. Thanks again for being a part of this journey. Excited to have you here for another episode and really just hope you guys in 2019 are out there just trying to crush it, trying to be the most fulfilled you can be in life. And hopefully each and every one of these episodes you guys are listening in are giving you some good feedback, some good insight, uh, good advice to help you along your way, help you on your own particular journey and path. Uh, and got another great episode today. Um, you know, it's one of those things I've always thought about as I grow this podcast. You know, there may be some opportunities to add advertisements or sponsors or whatever. Um, haven't got to that point yet, and it's something I like kind of bootstrapping it as I'm doing. Uh, but, you know, one of the things I always thought about is if I do ever have those type of things on this podcast, it's either going to be products that I use personally or that I truly believe in. Um, I'm not just going to do it just because there's some dollars thrown at me. And, you know, one of the companies I believe in, and I've been hosting my podcast on for just the last month or two, um, but I've known about this company for the last probably year and a half um, because the current company that I work for, um, we use Pippa.io, which is a podcasting platform. Um, I think they're phenomenal. I think they've grown rapidly over the last couple of years. Um, They're trying to be innovative in terms of, you know, just how they have the setup. Um, even the websites look really fresh that they, you know, they provide to showcase your different episodes. So when I had the chance to connect with Simon Marcus, who is the founder and CEO of Pippa, I said, man, would you, you know, share your story, get on the podcast, um, talk a little bit about not only your journey, but maybe have some insight into podcasting in general uh, and talk about some of that for the, for the folks in the audience. So he was, you know, very appreciative with his time and, and said, absolutely, Brian would love to be on. So here we are. So um, excited for you guys to listen in on this episode with Simon. Um, just the easiest way to find these guys online. Simon's a little incognito online, which you know I, I kind of respect and appreciate. Now you can find him on LinkedIn, um, Simon Marcus, just as it sounds, S I M O N M A R C U S um, is probably the best way to check him out. Um, or at Choose Pippa. Um, on Twitter or Instagram is the best way to get in touch with uh, their company. But go to Pippa, P-I-P-P-A dot I-O, um, especially if you are an up-and-coming podcaster or you want to look at uh, different ways to um, you know get involved in terms of podcasting. It may be a great platform for you. Uh, but anyways, he, he ain't paying me to say that. I, I love the company. I love what they're doing. So I'm, I'm appreciative to give them some uh, some love here on the uh, podcast. So let's jump right in. I think you guys will really enjoy his story um, and some of the things he shares today. So without further ado, let's jump into my chat today with Simon Marcus. Let's get it started. Simon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining today. Hey, Brian. Thank you so much for having me here. I was excited to get a chat to you. You know, full disclosure for the audience, uh, I'm a user of Pippa. Um, I think it's an unbelievable platform uh, where, where I host my podcast. So I'm excited to get into that with you a little bit because I, I want you to share some of those stories and, and and really talk about the depth of it. But I did want to take a step back because, you know, a lot of the a lot of the different interviews I've done on here, a lot of folks, you know, are born, raised in the U.S. and, and kind of have some of that background. But I know, obviously, you're from overseas, from South uh, uh, South Africa, excuse me. Um, I'm curious if you can start there and kind of, 
how your upbringing was as a child? Is it similar to the U.S.? Do you think is there is there some things you had opportunities for, or maybe disadvantages early on? I'm kind of curious to start there, and then we'll kind of you know peel back the onion a little bit. Sure thing. Yeah, I mean that's that's the the funny thing about uh, our own childhoods and our own lives is, hey, they're just the lives we know. <laughs> so uh, I, I I can't really tell you entirely how it could be very very different from uh, growing up, say where you did, but I will be happy to tell you a bit about what it was like for me. And, um, and I think that the, the thing that was uh, really evident early on for me was uh, a ton of interest in, uh, in thoughtful argument and debate and listening. And so my, my dad's a lawyer and uh, my mom is a teacher. And so there's, uh, there is always space for, for thinking and listening and arguing. And uh, I, I think it's, it's partly that, that throughout my, my childhood, and uh, growing up and going into college in Johannesburg in South Africa that kind of animated my interest in, in what I wanted to study, uh, which at that time was philosophy. And so what, what ultimately brought me to the U.S. was to do grad school in philosophy uh, at, uh, at NYU at, in, in New York. And so I, I've kind of had a, a slightly circuitous route to running a podcast technology company but it's it's one which which kind of doesn't which doesn't feel terribly uh unnatural to me uh because uh it you know i've, I've had a, a bunch of experiences along the way which kind of led me there and i would be glad to tell you a bit more about that kind of what happened after immediately following my experience uh at and you know, doing the philosophy program was was wonderful and got to dig very deep into a lot of the problems that I was interested in. But uh, I did not want to proceed into academia. And so uh, the the job that I landed in directly afterwards was at TED. Uh, you know, you're probably familiar with TED Talks. And of course, that's a that was a fascinating place for, for me to be circa 2013-14 when uh, I think they were transforming from being a pretty well-known place into really a household name for the kinds of uh, conferences and talks and videos really that, uh, that, that were being delivered. And, and especially what they were doing very well was I think a lot of the, the TEDx uh, institutional uh, podcast deliver, uh, video deliveries where people from all around the world were uh, kind of getting to grips with what it might be to deliver something like a very interesting idea, but one which could be made relatable in a short period of time. And so at that moment, there was this kind of flourishing of, of just tons and tons of content. And at least part of my job was around trying to find the really good stuff. Uh, so uh, it was partly an editorial role in that respect, and then partly in analytics as well. So trying to figure out how we should measure this content and specifically how we should measure whether it's succeeding, whether it is in fact uh, getting traction among viewers, whether, for example, they watch just a little bit and then drop out. I remember one of the things that I especially found interesting was how the change in title, for example, the title of a, of a, of a clip or a talk or a video could change how many people would click or would not click. 
and how many people would proceed through the video or not. Uh, so there is that kind of that interest in, in the analytics that uh, that you could pair with producing really good content, which definitely animated me pretty early on uh, from when I was working there. And I think is perhaps the most closely related, uh, I guess, entry point for me getting into podcasting later on. Did you, like when you were growing up, I mean, obviously with your dad being a lawyer, mom, a teacher, those are pretty structured, right? Career paths. Right. Did you, did you want to be an entrepreneur? Did you want to start your own business or was that kind of so away from what you actually wanted to do when you were younger? Yeah, I'll be honest with you. It, uh, it's only very recently that I've thought of myself as an entrepreneur. Um, I think perhaps I've had inclinations like that from before, but definitely this is the first time I've really considered that an appropriate moniker for myself. I think the the thing that uh, has has been true for me is that, like with a, a lot of people who have to venture out on their own, it was a matter of necessity being the mother in, of invention. So in my case, I ended up working as an entrepreneur because of visa difficulties that I had. So uh, it turned out that following my time at TED, I was unable to work in fact, I had to leave TED because of visa problems. And so because I wanted to remain entirely scrupulous and, uh, and, and of course, not running afoul at all of the, uh, the restrictions on my visa, I, I just had to stop work. Um, and of course, it then meant that trying to progress myself in a professional way, in a personal way, became really quite difficult. I was here with my wife and... Uh, you know, she she had managed to secure a different kind of visa, uh, but I couldn't. Uh, and in the absence of work, which is such a defining structural part of our lives, uh, it it can it it was a really depressing thing for me. And so I I kind of set about just trying to do whatever the hell I could to advance myself personally and professionally uh, with within the bounds of the the sort of the visa strictures that I had. The first thing that I did was to work a little bit in intelligence for a group that was overseas. And, you know, it was just a brief contract, but it was fun and interesting. And um, it was something that I could do, you know, within the confines of that visa. And then I, uh, I decided that, oh, you know, this, this intelligence work is really interesting, but I keep bumping up against certain financial and economic concepts that I'd like to understand better. So I decided to sit for the CFA exam which was, uh, you know, for uh, understand finance and economics. And I actually found that a really valuable and challenging and interesting thing to do. And it definitely gave me the kind of, uh, the kind of grounding in certain financial concepts that's come in handy later on. And then I finally had an opportunity briefly to uh, work with the Clinton Global Initiative, which was this, uh, this group run by the Clinton Foundation for uh, improving the circumstances of folks who are considerably less well off all around the world and getting commitments from industry leaders and governments around the world as well. But all of these things were relatively short-lived. They were contracts because, uh, like I said, my visa was uh, really quite prohibitive. And so it was you know, you probably got this picture now of me really just rallying and scraping around to see what can I make work for me. 
and how can I you know, hustle a bit to, to, to make something happen for myself, to help grow myself under circumstances which are you know, kind of confining or less than ideal. Uh, and it turned out that at that point, I, I got a little close to some folks in the startup community and, uh, and had the realization that this is curiously something that I could do. I could uh, start a Delaware C Corp uh, even, even like notwithstanding that my, my visa was a certain way I could, uh, and I couldn't receive employment right then I could start a company, start a Delaware C Corp, and I could even start to employ Americans, uh, to, to work at it. And, and so that's what I did. I, I started Pippa and, uh, it was, it was not quite the, not quite the sense of like, Oh, uh, I'm, I'm stuck without an idea. Let me, let me just start a company. I, I, uh, I had the, the good fortune to have a bunch of smart people around me to whom I could turn when, when wanting to test out this idea and, and make sure that things were, um, make sure that I was on the right track. Uh, but it was this funny moment where it did feel like I, I had to kind of pull myself into a job uh, because I couldn't actually go out and get one. Well, that's what I wanted to ask was, and, and maybe the visa, that was the kind of the, the kick in the pants type moment, right? Is where, right. what was the self-talk? Because obviously going out on your own and trying this new endeavor, right? Did Like, I don't know, did you get any investors? Was it, did you bootstrap it yourself? Like how did, I'm curious if you can just take us in the very early days. Like what was the self-talk yeah, sure. that went through your head of like, God, I'm going to go ahead and, and try to do this on my own and, and those type of things. Yeah, no, thanks. The the thing that happened pretty early on was I, I've always been blessed to have really wonderful, intelligent, talented friends around me and having tapped into that, that network and being able to, to, to walk them through this thing that I wanted to do. I very shortly became introduced to some folks that I could start to see as co-founders and who wanted to join me on this, this wild little ride. And so for, just about nine months of uh, eight or nine months of of 2016, we were bootstrapped and starting to put the semblances of a product together. And at that time, I applied to go to the uh, go to the through the accelerator called TechStars. I'm, I'm guessing you probably have heard of it. They're these really uh, impressive accelerator programs which take place all around the world. And uh, I applied to the one that was going to be taking place in Los Angeles in February 2017, which was focused on music and audio technology. And so Pippa, Pippa got into that, which meant that uh, our company and uh, about 10 others were going to be holed up together for three months in LA, working intensely, intensely, intensely on our products, on our customers, and really trying to Get the uh, get the insights from mentors who had been there and done that. That's a a big part of what makes uh, the TechStars experience valuable is uh, is being able to tap into this enormous network of of mentors and leaders and uh, and, and entrepreneurs who've been there and seen uh, all of the struggles of startups already, and to try and cram into three months what might otherwise take a year or two. Uh, and yes, that means uh, that means doing the, the kind of fail quickly stuff that, that some startups are known for. Uh, but ideally, 
ending up at a place where you've got a much better grip on what your product is and who your customers are. And, and that really is pretty much what it did for us. We, we came out of there uh, in May 2017, a, a much more galvanized team with a, a clearer sense of, of the product that, uh, that we were deploying. And, you know, you asked about what does that mean for, you know, bootstrapping and fundraising. Uh, it meant that we, you know, we, we were able to raise just a little bit of money to help us uh, kind of take the next few steps, make a few early hires. And it was an interesting experience because we didn't raise a ton of money. Uh, one of the things which was fascinating to see was how many startups that, uh, in that, how many startups in that cohort and of the folks around me had raised really quite considerable sums of money, uh, many millions of dollars, even quite early on in their trajectories. And then what the kind of subsequent pressures are on them and what the kinds of, uh, what the kind of product challenges that brings and what team challenges that brings and realizing that really there are, there are a lot of ways to go at any number of these problems. And I think one of the things I ended up being quite proud of as we've developed was that we took on really very limited capital but grew to profitability quite swiftly. Uh, so we, we, we worked hard on securing uh, paying customers and recurring revenue very early on in our, uh, in our trajectory. And that way kind of growing towards a place of sustainability where, where we didn't need to be looking necessarily for a VC injection. So you could have done so many different things. Why podcasting? Why, what did you see in that market? Or maybe it was a gap or something. What, what happened? Why, why did you decide to go into that, in that market? Yeah, thanks. I, I think one of the things that really excited me was having a good grip on what the problems were and also having a good grip on how I felt the solutions could proceed. So I remember when, um, when I first got into podcasts, which I was, I think, a little later than some folks, I, I, I got really interested in them in about 2012 or 13. And, you know, I was, like a lot of people do, I was making my way through the hits and listening to old episodes of This American Life and of Planet Money. And while I was doing that, I, you know, I was listening to episodes from, say, you know, 2008, 2009, and I would hear the ads from 2008 and 2009. And so the first thing which really just struck me at that point was how very strange an experience it is to be listening from, to a current show, but listening to an old ad. And this first alerted me to some of the idiosyncrasies in the technology around podcasting that at the time, you know, while working at TED and while thinking about this stuff, I was thinking, hmm, I wonder why that's the case. And kind of filed that away in my back pocket as something to, to look into. And, and the more I did dig into podcasts, the more I realized that there were lots of these kinds of problems where uh, in some respects, the technology was not keeping pace with the kind of interest and demand and enthusiasm that I was seeing from the industry as a whole. And for me, being just so enthusiastic about storytelling and about uh, about the value of education through podcasts, I I just I was so enamored with it and so sure that this was going to be a big thing that you know it, it was one of those moments where 
I was one of the people who my friends were yelling at, oh my God, you've got to listen to this podcast. You've got to listen to this show. And then I became that guy as well. Like uh, that, that proselytizer for podcasts, yelling at my friends, oh my God, you've got to listen to this show. You've got to hear this episode. And, and I think that there is something just so uh, intriguing and tantalizing and exciting about, about the podcast audio format that, uh, that, that once, once you're into it, you become really, really, really into it. I don't know many people who are kind of meh or sort of into podcasts. They, they tend to be very animated and very enthusiastic. And I think that that's something which definitely drove me and, and uh, encouraged me as I wanted to start building this. What was it, would you say maybe the biggest challenge you had to overcome kind of in this early process of getting Pip off the ground? Yeah, um, you know, it, I think there, oh man, <laughs> that's going to be such a long list. How much time do we uh, have? But, I don't know. <laughs> like, I know, right? Uh, I bet you hear all kinds of fun war stories, but, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pick a couple. And I, I think convincing people to come along for the ride when you're an early founder is a, is a really interesting thing. You need to be convincing customers early on to come along for the ride when you have an untested product. And really, that's that's kind of what you're doing. At least that's what I found myself doing in all different circumstances. I needed to be convincing like actual customers, hey, podcaster, come and try my product. Come in and come and please use this. Give it a go. I know you'll like it. We've been working really hard on it. But I'm doing the same thing when building a team, right? You you need to convince people that you're going to be a good person to work with, that they are going to find meaningful interest and they will like find valuable work and they will move forward and uh and it's the same when talking to to, to vcs or to uh, or doing other kinds of fundraising you're you're trying to explain why this is a worthy avenue of pursuit and there can be something like very difficult about about that entire exercise because uh on the one hand you're you know you've got to be so sure of everything yourself when you go into those uh, those moments, you need to be projecting a, a certain kind of confidence, which I, I'll admit I don't think did really come terribly naturally to me. I am, um, I mean, I I won't say I I would shy away from things, but I I, I like to be quite measured and quite um, reflective when I go about talking with people, and that in some ways is is not really conducive to the kind of sales personship that is required when getting a startup off the ground, uh, where you need to be gunning for your product and gunning to get people to join your team and then gunning to raise money as well. And so I think part of what I had to do was to come to terms within myself, what sort of role I would have to be in as a, as a leader of this, of this little company and, and what things I was also not prepared necessarily to, to change about myself in order, nonetheless, to try and uh, grow the business and, and 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 gain a measure of success that way, so it, it uh, I'd say one of definitely one of the challenges was a kind of an internal challenge of um, figuring out who I had to be to make this thing successful. Well, and I wanted to actually actually go a little deeper, maybe on that um, from a leadership standpoint. This has come up a lot on on recent episodes. Is 
and, and this could be for someone, you know, maybe that works in a, in a corporation, they want to move up the ladder in terms of management or those type of things, or someone like yourself where, hey, you're starting a company, you're the CEO, you're kind of the, the, the one in charge. How is there any advice you would share? Maybe things that you went through? I don't know if it was books you read or people you talked sure. to, or just how, how did you get the confidence to be a leader and be a good leader? Yeah, I think it, um, <laughs> I think there's uh, there's something funny that happens to uh, a lot of entrepreneurs in the space where they, on the one hand, there can there's that one picture of uh, there's that one picture of the the entrepreneur is just a completely single minded, utterly driven individual who will never take no for an answer, who is absolutely convinced of his his own brilliance and his own success and so on and you know the world the rest of the world be damned that kind of that kind of situation but i i don't think most of us are like that and i think that the truth is most of us do lie awake relatively fearful at night about uh about whether or not we're actually doing a good job and whether or not we're actually going to make it through whatever challenges in front of us i've I've got to say that the thing which has been so singularly valuable, at least for me, uh, has been leaning on friends, right? Um, this is, <laughs> you know, it, it's no, it, it's well known that it, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. It, in the same way as, you know, founders will frequently compare their companies to their babies, same thing. It's like taking a village to raise this little company. I'm aware that for all of the stuff that has been on my shoulders, so much of it has fallen on my friend's shoulders and my family's shoulders and my, you know, like my, my wife's shoulders. Like this has been uh, something which, which like we've, we've kind of had to go through together in that way. And insofar as you can muster, you know, a certain kind of humility to recognize the times that you just really, really, really need help and to, to ask for it from your friends and from those who are close to you. I think it ends up being extremely rewarding as you realize, Oh, you'll realize the things that you're actually kind of good at. You realize the things that you've actually, Oh yeah, I, I guess I have thought this issue through, I guess I'm not doing such a bad job at this. And they'll also illuminate for you there's the places where you need more help and perhaps considerable outside help. Uh, so my sense is that while this can be a very solitary journey for some folks, it goes a lot better when we recognize the respect in which we're leaning on others, uh, especially those who are close to us for uh, really tremendous ways in which they they make this whole thing work. So I'm going to put the the blinker on. We'll take like a big right turn here, kind of away from that. That was, sure. that was really good. Because I want to ask about, um, so podcasting in general, right? So I've been doing this for a year and a half and I've been listening to podcasts for years, similar to you. And one of the things that always amazed me, and I'm curious your guys' thoughts, because you guys do some great analytics on your platform. Why, like I noticed this with, uh, with iTunes, like their analytics just, are up to snuff for some reason mm -hmm. is there like what is going on with analytics because people always ask like brian how many 
you know, how many listens you get. It's like, well, I kind of have an idea, but I don't know if it's accurate because there's all this, you know, stuff out there. Can you go into that depth a little bit? I'm just curious how you think about analytics um, from a podcasting standpoint, what people should expect um, that are running a podcast and, you know, whatever tangents you want to go on with that. For sure, for sure. And, you know, allow me, first of all, to congratulate you. You said you've been doing this for a year and a half. And that's a real achievement. It really, really is. Um, you know, making episode one, making episode two, making episode three, making episode four. And you're now, I think, up to like 37 or 38 or something. Like each one of those requires considerable concerted effort. And it's uh, it, it's not something that really just happens. And so I yeah, really want to commend you on on sticking with it. It's something that I see a lot where people are kind of excited early on, but then uh, there's there's this kind of marathon versus sprint uh, issue that that happens with some folks, and, and they kind of peter out. Uh, so congratulations on 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 pushing forward with this. And uh, because I I think that the thing that happens most when people ask about um, about analytics or listenership is uh, is is the sense that they want to be something like an overnight success or immediately see certain kinds of results and. Uh, and and part of what I, I end up really reminding folks of most of the time is something that you evidently have already learned, which is that it's a, a much more of a marathon where you're trying consistently over time to to put in the hours and put in the work to build a quality show and and grow an organic base that way. And of course, you know I I have so much sympathy with um, with podcasters these days, and it's part of why we got really interested in this space is because the analytics are in many respects a real mess um like this is uh this is now not a terribly uh well-kept secret that that podcast analytics have gone through a massive like sea change in really in the last few years and really the main reasons why is that people have actually started paying attention to them there's been sufficient market interest and sufficient technological improvement that we've been like, oh, wait, no, we're actually trying to do something really important here. We should be delivering the kind of professional analytics that uh, that that this industry deserves and that we would expect from other media, you know, whether, say, on the web or on TV and so on. And, and so, you know, I, I, there are some folks who've, you know, who've had quite recently just remarkable stories. I'd, I'd encourage you to check out uh, an episode of a show called Darknet Diaries, which was recently um, recently digging into how some folks have been hacking the iTunes charts and, uh, you know, with varied measures of success, but where they were otherwise unknown shows, uh, but paid basically the equivalent of click farms in Bangladesh off to subscribe to the shows in order to generate uh, an artificial boost in their rankings. And of course, this does result in a certain uptick in, uh, in their position and a certain kind of improvement in the rankings, uh, but it's, uh, it's illusory, it's, uh, it's meaningless in the sense that it's not based on any kind of real subscriber interest or really good quality of the show. And and I think that we're at this difficult place as uh, like as an industry where we're 
we're trying to have to, we're having to pay attention to yes what what are the numbers on the screen because those are those are the ones we have and you know we at Pippa work so hard to make sure that those are as robust and as accurate as possible um, but I think we're also learning that with as this industry matures it also opens it out itself up to bad actors and predatory practices like the kind of I just mentioned like click farms and so on which have of course been uh, you know very very prevalent in, in other more established industries like like app development for example and so I think whenever whenever it comes down to the numbers like there's this one sense in which I want to say hey it's it's all about the numbers uh, but another sense in which I want to say no no I uh, the most important thing you can do is 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 try and combine those with the real evidence of success that that you have like from the world like where when you have listeners telling you that they enjoy your show where you have people indicating to you that they are are fans of it that they want you to improve this that they want you to keep doing that where you have um, a certain a certain sense of like, is this a good quality show? Is this something that I want to listen to? Like to 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 look to those kind of um, I guess less formal but more um, more substantial indicators of how am I doing as a podcaster? what's your thoughts on the future of podcasting? Where, where do you think it's going? What are, if you put your Nostradamus hat on for a minute here? Yeah. <laughs> well, look, I hope we'll be around to see it. Um, you know, the funny thing is that as for as much as has changed in podcasting, I think we've still got tons of room left to grow tons and tons and tons of room left to grow. And I think we're in this really exciting moment where we're seeing the, the birth of some of, like these these really big you might think of them as, as agencies or as networks like like that you might think that like Gimlet is something like the HBO of, of podcasts or like really outstanding content creation being done tons more money flowing in I think the the kind of uh, the fact that so many of these shows are now being pitched as uh, transfers to, to films is a really good indication that these are at uh, at their bare bones, podcasting is about the delivery of really outstanding stories and which uh, where this is just a really explosive medium. And so when, when I kind of think of, hey, well, where could this be in 5, 10, 15 years time? The one thing I'm pretty excited about is that I think there's some part of it which will really, really not change. I think we've all realized in the last, you know, three, four, five years that audio is is forever <laughs> and it's a funny thing to say to people who have been listening to podcasts for ages is like well of course you know that you know how wonderful and valuable audio is but for a lot of people and now i'm especially thinking of smart speakers right and, and the smart home devices like google home and alexa for a lot of folks who have been using that and people in the tech industry have been started to use those devices they've realized oh my god audio guys audio is really exciting and and I think this is uh, this is something which is, you know, like I said, it's something where you'll you perhaps are already on this train for a long time. But it, the great thing is that audio is not changing, and it's largely because we continue to have two ears 
and love stories. And for as, as long as that's the case, I actually think that podcasts, something like this very format of podcasts, are going to remain more or less unchanged 15, 20, arguably 100 years from now, in the sense that we're going to be, you know, are we going to be listening to them on these kind of devices? You know, maybe, maybe not. Maybe five years from now, we'll all have some delightful kind of implants in our ears. Uh, but this, the overall need that we have as, as humans to, to listen to really interesting stories, I think fundamentally is not going to change. And I think that that is something which speaks to the longevity of podcasting as medium. What can everyone expect from Pippa going forward? Is there, I mean, certainly you got to keep some things close to the vest, I understand, but anything <laughs> sure, yeah. you can share in terms of what you guys are excited about over the next, you know, six months, year, et cetera? Absolutely. So two really big things. One is something that we've kind of just launched and we're really excited about and we're, we're rolling out improvements for is podcaster websites. And this is something where it, it flows like a lot of our, our product and feature developments just from listening very carefully to our customers and what it is they want. And tons of them have told us, look, I'm, I'm really enjoying using Pippa, but I've also got this like Squarespace site that I'm paying for. And I really want it just for my podcast. Like, is there a way that I could tie these two things together? Is there a way that maybe I don't need that, that Squarespace site or that Wix site or that WordPress site? Is there some way to, to have a beautiful home for my podcast, but on the internet? And that's something we really took to heart. And we, we kind of like just dug in on this idea of what, where does my podcast live on the internet? Uh, which is, I think, where a lot of us are sort of web natives and we're just we're living online all the time. And that's kind of how we're going to interact with media. It's like how we, it's definitely how I interact with articles and with videos all the time. And it's increasingly a place where I think we want to interact with with podcasts. And so this idea of having a home for your show online is what we really set out to build. And so these podcaster websites is uh, our kind of first salvo at, a, a really wonderful home for podcasts online. Uh, and the second, the second thing that I think will be is, you know, a little further down the road, but hopefully not too far, is something to solve part of the thing that, that you and I are doing right now, uh, which is recording across a divide, like where it is that we would be, uh, say, in two different cities, but nonetheless want to be having a conversation that sounds really authentic and in the room. And so we've been developing technology which uh, has the kind of the immediacy and ease of something like this, like Skype or Uber, Uber conference, but where the audio quality is of, uh, such that it's really right here in the room where there's this uh, a kind of a local recording of each of our sides uh, and then immediate delivery to the cloud so that you can edit it and uh, perform all kinds of audio compression and equalization later on as well. Um, but really just enhancing the, the immediacy of connecting across, uh, across a distance and making sure that the recording will sound wonderful to listeners. So as a kind of a lasting impression of, the, of you, as well as the, the episode, um, can you share, it could be some advice, could be a quote, um, something to kind of leave the audience with. It could be about podcasting, could be about, you know, being an entrepreneur or starting a business, could be something totally random. I don't care. Um, what would you kind of, uh, what would you kind of say? 
Yeah, absolutely. Look, this, uh, I, I hope this doesn't sound too trite, but I think where there's a ton of advice for both for podcasters and for entrepreneurs to be the, the loudest voice in the room, to, to me, I feel like the most important thing that one can do is listen. Carefully listen to your customers, to your users, and as a podcaster, to listen to your audience, to hear what it is that they are looking for and to use that as your rubric for how to improve. That's great advice. Yeah, that's sometimes the the active listening doesn't happen as think as much uh, in the world today. There's a lot of shouting out there, so <laughs> good uh, good thoughts there. Um, Sam, this has been this has been really cool. I was glad to you know I know it was kind of random, um, you know how I how I kind of get in, get introduced to you and got you on here, and I was so uh, so thankful that you were able to take some time out and, and join today. So uh, thanks again for the time and uh, for joining on the episode. Oh, guys, it's been such a pleasure. Really, uh, thanks so much for having me. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed that interview. And one more quick thing before you head off on your day. If you don't mind, head over to iTunes, leave me a review, let me know how I'm doing. I certainly appreciate the feedback. It only is going to make this podcast better each and every episode. As always, you guys can find me online, uh, brianondraco.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-O-N-D-R-A-K-O, as well as on Instagram or Twitter, at brianondraco. Thanks again for listening in. I hope you guys have a great day, a phenomenal week. And we'll see you soon. Take care. Just get started.